It's springtime, which means I'm allergic to everything, but it's also the one time of year uh, where basketball is worth, or it, it's 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 worth your time watching. I m- I mentioned this on the show. This was at least a few weeks ago now. That this is sort of, I think, for me, the best time of year for sports. You got the M- the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. Yeah, it, it's a great time of year for sports. Well, can I bring up some sour news? <laughs> sure. I hadn't kept up with how uh, the Sharks were doing. And I hadn't heard much about it from you. So I, uh, so I, I found out the bad news. Yeah, you know, they played a really good team. This, this Vegas team, and particularly their goaltender, has just been on a crazy run. And, you know, that's... You know, more often than not, that's the way the NHL playoffs go is there's a team that is hot near the end of the year. They get their goaltender in a good spot for the playoffs and they just kind of go on a run. And kind of no matter what you do, if you're if you're in your way or in their way, you're going to get eliminated. Yeah, it's a bummer. But in, in other news, uh, NBA, it's pretty exciting. So kind, uh, kind of. Well, the two, two questions or one, I want to get out of the way really quick. Uh, I was watching uh, the game earlier tonight, and I was under the impression, and I could be completely mistaken. I thought the Seventy Sixers were like the you know, like the worst team in the NBA, or am I thinking of somebody else? Uh, no, you're not thinking of someone else. So they, so famously in the NBA, which I think we've also chatted about online before, there's this sort of concept of tanking, where teams will purposefully lose games to have a worse record, which then gives them better chances in the draft lottery of getting a higher draft pick. And so the 76ers for, God, I don't know how many years this has been going on, the last five or six years, have basically been tanking so that they can continue to get these high draft picks. And they've actually even, well... Because like, wouldn't that alienate the fans? Yeah, it's a, it's a very gray area, as you would say. Um, to the point where one of the players that they picked, Joel Embiid, who we'll, we'll come back to in a second, he, when they drafted him, was actually hurt and was injured so much that he was going to miss his entire first year. Is he the face mask but, guy? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But because the 76ers didn't want to be good right away, they were okay taking a risk on a guy who wasn't even going to play that following season. So... There was, and so so then Joel Embiid eventually did come back, and he's he's been really good, and he's sort of in he's a really goofy kind of fun guy, and he's embraced this whole idea of, uh, you know, kind of the, um, trying to figure out a different word to use other than but what was it called the the process that they've been going through, and so his sort of like moniker has become trust the process, like that's basically become like almost his motto or his nickname. And when he says, trust the process, what he's referring to is the team's gone through this process over the last handful of years to kind of build the team up. And so anyway, this is this was the first year where, you know, Joel Embiid was playing, Ben Simmons was playing, they, they, they kind of the the fruits of their labor, again, as you would say, from the past few seasons um, kind of came around this year. So they were actually, they were really good and they they were favored to win that Boston series, but that didn't quite pan out. Okay, another clarifying question. Um, I I don't know if I'm supposed to like James Harden or not. I really don't like him. I don't either. Or like that. That's what I've I've. I can't. I I don't know why. I can't tell if it if he's a showboat or or like what what is. 
I don't know. I feel like I've been trained to not like him, and I don't know why. He, I know this is no reflection of him as like a person, but just on the court, I just do not like his style of play. He is the type who constantly tries to draw fouls, and he will constantly exaggerate contact. Oh, he constantly mm. complains. He's yeah, he's very showboaty. I mean, he's got this thing got where it. he'll make a three, and then he'll like pretend he's making soup. He'll like what? Put he'll put one arm out, and then he'll kind of like basically like as a pot and then he'll bring his other hand and like basically like pretend to stir it i don't even really know what that's in reference to but yeah no i mm -mm, i'm not not a fan of his so i i generally don't actively root for the warriors i don't usually actively root against them either just because i have so many friends in the area who are fans but i will be legitimately rooting for them (laughs) <laughs> uh, in the Western Conference Finals, because I really don't. I don't like the Rockets. I don't like James Harden, and I don't really care for Chris Paul either. Okay, but they they are playing a series against. Oh wait, no, they're not. The Jazz already lost. Yes, the, so the Jazz lost to Houston, and then the Warriors just last night beat the Pelicans. So Houston and Golden State, which are the top two seeds in the West, and oh kind fantastic, of the, the the two teams that everybody's been waiting for to play in the playoffs, that are are finally gonna uh, face each other. Okay. Because that's that's the frustrating thing about watching ba- uh, basketball is that like there's so much of this like the, the fake soccer injury thing, where people will like get knocked down and they will somehow slide thirty yards across the basketball court pretending that they're injured. Like I I don't care for that stuff at all. Yeah, I I agree. It's not a good part of the game. There are certain teams and certain players who are more egregious about it than others and again that's why i just really don't like harden because he's he's one of the worst defenders yeah uh but in better news i love lebron james like i am because and if you listen to the 538 podcast this week uh what's the name jody avergan had some really good uh shade to throw against good uh, because i i just appreciate that he like I, I don't like the Cleveland Cavaliers, or I have I have no affinity towards them. But I appreciate how good he is, and, I, and the the fact that he's carrying the team on his back doesn't upset me at all. It just makes me respect him more, and all the hate that he draws. I don't know. I like I, I like of course the Warriors are going to win, and I want them to win. But I still I want LeBron to succeed based off of all the hate that he gets, because the hate is very undeserved, and just because they succeed based off the contribution of the majority of one person like like i don't i don't think that's hate worthy yeah I, I don't i've never hated lebron i've never been his biggest fan either but i would say that what he's been doing in the playoffs this year is incredible he's he's been so good he's had two game winning shots he's had multiple 40 plus point games i mean he's he's been incredible he's been playing basically every minute of every game which like should be impossible, especially for a guy in his, I think, 15th season. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Cause that's the thing with these guys is it's not even that he's, you know, in air quotes, like old, like, I mean, even Kobe now is, I think he's 37 maybe. And he, he was like 30, well, maybe he's like 38 now. And he was like 36 when he retired. Like, it wasn't really just his age. It's just, like, it's the number of seasons and the wear that that takes on your body and the fact that LeBron's, and I think it's his 15th year, on top of the fact that he's been in the playoffs virtually every year, he's been to seven straight finals, he's played in multiple Olympics. I mean, it's just the miles on him are crazy. And the fact that he's 
not only not slowing down, but is actually like getting better is just, it just kind of defies logic. But if you watched ESPN, you would basically think that the only thing Kobe Bryant's ever done is made a movie for ESPN plus. <laughs> that's right. They will not stop advertising that service. Cause it's, that's gotta be about the only thing that's on there. Right? Uh, there's also super esoteric sports. And I think there's like one extra, uh, I think it's called MLS, which is the thing where they, they kick the ball for 90 minutes. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing that happens. It's called a football. Oh, yeah, it's Aussie Rules football. Got it. <laughs> right. No, that they, this is this is the one where they really flop. Oh, yeah, that's the one where yeah, they yeah, <laughs> they act like they got bit by a snake anytime anybody ever does anything to them. <laughs> uh, All right. So this well, I'm, like... I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry you're not feeling well. Oh, no, I'm feeling fantastic. I'm just... <laughs> I'm, oh, in a, I'm in a I'm in a Zyrtec uh, infused or induced uh, fugue state, but it's it's completely fine. <laughs> it makes me want to watch basketball. Have you tried all the different allergy medications? Like, do you find that one works a lot better than the others? Yeah, I found that Zyrtec gives like because it, it's a single pill for 24 hours, and generally it's only the very start of spring where things go a little crazy for me. So it it's it's all right. Got it. Yeah, I'll be fine. Yeah, play through the pain, as as uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike D'Antoni once said. I think he's an NBA person. Yeah, he's he's the head coach of the Rockets. Oh, he's he, yeah, he's Popovich's protege. Uh, hmm. I'm I just made that up. I mm-hmm. said Popovich is 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 the uh, fun older dude. Yes. Yeah. Who coaches the Thunder? San Antonio Spurs. Are geographically those teams close? Um, I mean. As close as Oklahoma City and San Antonio are, yes. That did not help. <laughs> if they're within a thousand miles, I count that as a win. That's basically that's partial credit. <laughs> okay. Uh let's okay, let's let's move on. Um oh, so let's let's pivot this. So there was this article I sent you. Uh I forget who put it on the Twitter, but um it was an interview in did I not link to this? Gosh darn it. The the strategy strategy.business or strategy slash business dot com. Yeah, it seems like a weird, sketchy uh um <laughs> uh, SEO domain that's probably like serving up like Bitcoin mining scripts. <laughs> but but it's not. It was actually a really interesting interview, uh sponsored by PWC apparently. Um uh it, it was an interview with uh uh brother of famed statistician uh, Nate Silver, Adam Silver, uh-huh. who's the NBA commissioner. So I thought this was super interesting, and it, and it highlights something that I think is interesting about the NBA. And the, the NBA is not my favorite sport, not for any particular reason, but I'm more of a baseball person. But it seems like the NBA is doing everything right in terms of uh, engaging with their audience, like, appropriately in, like, uh involving social media and embracing it when a lot of other media industries and and sport franchises kind of still haven't figured out what to do with it they seem to be kind of like a step above everybody else particularly uh in comparison to the NFL so so what what did you get from this i thought it was a really good interview i i'm trying to find the exact quote that i wanted to pull from here but i the the my main takeaway was the fact that he was really transparent about how he and the rest of the league doesn't exactly know where the future of live sports is going and because of that uncertainty instead of kind of being scared about that it makes them driven to just try lots of different things to see kind of what works 
And I think that's that's really refreshing for someone in his position to be both that honest and also uh, that transparent in an interview like that. I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah, like I, I think he understands kind of what is really valuable about the experience and kind of like what makes fans engage, but also what is like the bread and butter and the most important pri- like part of, of their value proposition. Like he, he says, uh, so where is it? Uh, we promote the posting of our highlights. The highlights are identified through YouTube software, and, we, and when we sell ads against them, we share in the revenue. We analogize our strategy to snacks versus meals. If we provide those snacks to our fans on a free basis, they're going to still want to eat meals, which are our games. There's no substitute for the live game experience. And this goes in contrast to like the NFL, which seems to really, really resist any type of attention that their games or like highlights get. That is not strictly like uh, paid for highlights on ESPN or through like the first broadcast. Like I like you 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 hear on sports Twitter like a bunch of people talking about NFL games, but they don't ever seem to like I, like there just don't seem to be those thirty second clips and the kind of stuff that makes you really want to watch the full thing in the same way that NBA Twitter seems to do. Well, it's because the NFL doesn't allow it. The NFL, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they used to clamp down completely on it, but then now now you, I think you can link to clips that are directly hosted on like NFL dot com, but it's not like the NBA where you can basically share clips however you want. Well, because like, they they want it everywhere, and it seems like uh, I don't right. know if this is a concerted effort by the NBA, but it seems like NBA players have a much I don't know if they're savvier with social media, but they just seem to be much more engaged and like. Just organically, there's more activity around what NBA stars are doing than what football players are doing. T- totally, yeah. Um, and I, I found that 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 passage that I wanted to to get to. So that the question was, I won't read the whole thing, but it was basically about you you sign these big TV contracts with the the major broadcasters, but viewing habits are changing. It's like, how do you sort of manage the tension between those two things? And his answer is really smart. He says, we manage it by doing so in partnership with our largest media partners, ESPN and Turner. Turner is our partner, our co-venturer in NBA Digital, which is operated out of the Turner facilities in Atlanta. We co-create the products, whether it is the NBA app or NBA.com or NBA League Pass. The honest answer is we're studying it very closely and are uncertain about the future. And he goes on a little bit later to say, one of our strategies has been to embrace experimentation with all of these different platforms. And that's, again, I think that's really refreshing. And I think that that's, I don't know, like if, if I were, you know, if I were a betting man and I were to, you know, put money behind the future of these different professional sport leagues, like that, that's the type of philosophy I would want the head of that league to have. That seems really smart to me. Yeah. And it, and it still puts them in control. Cause like, here's the thing, like it, if if that happens to increase the popularity of the NBA, but that turns out not to be the most profitable avenue to share the content or drive engagement, like they can just scale that back. Like so, there's no harm in trying every little thing. It's kind of like I'm trying to think. It's, it's kind of like the Netflix approach, sort of like where they're like, we don't know where it's going to happen, but we're going to make sure our app runs on literally everything that we can to try to capture the audience, and then we'll figure it out later. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So this guy seems super savvy, and he does good on him. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a great contrast to the NFL, which, again, people hopefully will stop watching for many reasons, but also it seems like their strategy is wrong, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a bummer about... So there are half as many NBA games as there are baseball games, right? It's like it's 160 versus 80-ish. 
Yeah, it's it's like 80, 82 basketball games, and it, it's like 162 baseball games, right? Yeah, like baseball's got to figure... Because like MLB Advanced Media, they try a lot of stuff, and, and I think like they're doing a pretty good job. Like I do see a decent amount of stuff on Twitter from them, or at least like kind of stuff that they encourage sharing. But like, man... A lot of times when you're watching baseball and you just see like a, a, a stadium that's only ten percent full, like it, it's it's weird. Well, I mean, well, baseball does a weird thing too, where a lot of the games, especially early in the season, it seems like are like these midday weekday games, which like I, I always kind of laugh at this with AT and T Park, where it kind of seems like they fill up. No matter what time of day or what day of the week the game is at. Well, yeah, because nobody at San Francisco has a real job. <laughs> I know. I like. I look at these like Wednesday twelve thirty p.m. games with a sold out stadium, and I'm like, it's like, what the fuck are people what, doing? What are, what are you people doing? Get back to Excel. Get go do, go create right. value. Go do something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're all riding their fucking scooters to the park. <laughs> yeah, but like that's and like you just go you watch like an Astros game who just won the World Series last year, and there's like four people in the stadium, and then you're just like, like what is going on? Mm-hmm. And because because like I love I I love baseball, but some something's got uh, they gotta they gotta figure that out. And no matter how much they keep trying to tighten up how long the games take, I don't think that's I don't think that's the secret sauce. No, I don't either. Yeah, I mean I think like. Fewer games has to be part of the answer because, like, I'll say that the the M- MLB playoffs or the, the the postseason, I guess, as you would say, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. it, it is is really exciting, really, really exciting. Like playoff baseball is tremendous. That that Cleveland Chicago World Series from a couple of years ago, uh-huh. like it, it doesn't get any better than that. It's really, really good. But it's just, it's the It's a getting there. Yeah, it's like these April, May, and June, again, 12.30 p.m. Wednesday games. It's just like, come on. Well, like, if you love your team, like, I like, because I, like, I mean, I love the Giants. As long as they're, like, as long as they're over 400, I'm, I'm going to watch or listen or I'm going to do something. Like, as long as it's not painful to watch, it's good. Like, well, today they lost to the Phillies 11-3, but. I would, I would say the one thing that baseball really does have going for it, which is kind of interesting, is. Like, it's hard to have a basketball game, and it's basically impossible to have, like, a hockey game in the background and <laughs> be able to follow what's happening while doing other things. Whereas with baseball, like, that's my thing, especially, like, during the summer. It'll be like, I'll come home from work, you know, I'll throw the Giants game on, but then I'll, like, I'll be doing other stuff, and then, like, you know, occasionally I'll check in, and, like, I still feel like I have a pretty good sense of how the game is going, even though I'm not fully connected with it which is very which is something that's very unique to baseball <laughs> that is that is a, a hundred emoji uh backhanded compliment <laughs> it is yeah uh it's <laughs> but it's true it's so boring that it's 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 yeah it's like an episode of fixer upper that you've already seen that you can just have on the background <laughs> uh and you can hear chip talk about how much uh how much upside you already have from day one <laughs> Ah, cover of People magazine. Good on him. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh let's let's move let's move with a follow-up 40 minutes later. Um, so oh man, Bob Iger. Okay, so Disney. Apparently there's a new Star Wars movie coming out this month. There is. Because there's a new Star Wars movie coming out every month. But Solo. Uh, Solo what? That that's what it's called. Solo. Mm. 
it's a it's bit. About, a, it's, about, um, it's about the red cup. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So you. So I think we were talking about yeah. So uh, yeah, my my chef special last week was the away suitcase. Mm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, away dot com is owned by Orbitz. What the hell? Oh, it's a ra- away travel away travel dot com. Yeah. Oh, that's that's messed up. Orbitz, come on. So, but apparently, I thought you sent this to me, and I thought it was like an Onion parody. But apparently, uh, the Disney Corporation and and uh, Star Wars is doing some. Well, actually, this shouldn't be too much of a surprise because they did that. The they did a Despicable Me DreamWorks crossover thing. But apparently they made a version of their carry-on uh, that had Star Wars colors or Star Wars prints on them. And I can't tell if you're joking or not, but allegedly you bought one. Oh, I am 100% not joking. Uh, so that to bring this all the way back around, this actually popped up in a Facebook ad, believe it or not. Oh, and, hey. And I... Cambridge Analytica. Nice. They, they did uh-huh. something yeah, no, I mean, no joke. I was I was sitting there um, on Saturday night. You know, the lady friend and I were watching TV, and I was you know just browsing my phone, and I I get this this um, this Facebook ad, and I, I kind of had the same reaction where I'm like I, I don't like I don't know if this is like legit or if this is some spammy ad or something, <laughs> but clicked through, and sure enough, uh, they away had just announced a partnership with Star Wars, where yeah they. Um, I think have it's like three different colors. Yeah, it's a kind of a greenish color, which of course is the one that I got. Um, that is supposed to resemble Endor. There's a orange <laughs> one, which is supposed to represent Tatooine, and then there's a kind of whitish gray one, which represents Hoth. Um, these are all made up words. <laughs> um, and no, I I I ordered one probably three minutes after i sent it to you in the thing so i can't find this on their website uh so yeah i know it's it's kind of weird to get to from the main website so i ended up just googling it uh it's just just awaytravel.com slash star wars and that'll bring you to a page where they've they've got all three so which which so which one did you buy the the green one endor and you bought the bigger carry-on not the regular carry-on right i bought the bigger carry-on good oh Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I've, I mean, so we, you know, ironically, this was your show special last week and we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it, including a conversation about why I hadn't bought one yet. Um, but no, I, I mean, I've, I mentioned that I've wanted one of these for a really long time. So I, I've looked into them very, very closely and, and knew exactly what size I wanted. And, you know, one of the funny things, in addition to just, you know, it being cool that it's a Star Wars co-branding item is... You know, a, a green suitcase is, is highly appealing to me, and they, they've had a green, like, standard color for, I, I think, basically forever. Yeah. But, yeah, nice. the, mm-hmm. the, but the problem is, like, I've seen it in person, the problem is it's a really, really, really dark green, like, to uh-huh. the point where you can't really even tell it's green until you look more closely. So what I like about this Endor bag is it's a bit of a brighter green. You want like an iPhone 5C green. Yeah, exactly. Um, so no, I am, I mean, you know, I mentioned in last week's episode, they had that other sort of limited edition uh, color scheme that I really liked. And I, I, I kind of joked that had that one been in stock, like I, you know, might have just done an impulse buy right there on the spot. And so ironically, you know, two nights later, this color comes up that's also co-branded with one of my favorite 
things ever. And, you know, the combination of those things, you know, pushed me over the edge. Very nice. Um, I will give you a bit of real-time follow-up, or actually delayed follow-up. Um, I tried cleaning my Away suitcase for the first time, and the damage that United does to your bag uh, is mostly cleanable. So I think, though, because you had mentioned that every Away suitcase you saw kind of looked dinged up. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, yeah, that 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 is mostly fixable. Okay. So all it took was just, like, a, like a damp cloth, and, it, and it, most of the scrapes wipe away. So it does seem that, fairly that's durable. Good. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. And the, the thing that I like about the, the Star Wars branding here is it's very subtle. Like, there's not, there's not some big Star Wars logo on it or anything. Yeah, it's just not covered like with like the the porgs or whatever. Right. Like, I think it's, it's a really nice color. It's got a really subtle kind of design on it. Um, and then it's got the Star Wars logo, really small, like in a couple of places. So I, I, I really like that. I'm surprised it doesn't cost extra. Yeah, it's it's nice, right? I, I, I don't think I would have paid extra for it because they're they're already, you know, eh. inter- like it's you know, they're not expensive. I mean, because because luggage in general is kind of pricey, so I don't want to yeah. call them expensive. But I mean, it's it's a you know. It's a bit of a purchase. Yeah, I think I think it's still in the realm where it's it it, it is a premium, but it's not that much more. And it is nice just because because suitcases it's kind of like there's a lot of things like this, like uh, like kitchen hardware and stuff, where like it's just like it's really tough to know if what you're buying is actually good, just because there's like eight billion different SKUs of the same thing. So like I mean yeah, it's it's not too bad, but it probably it's it's definitely like a fifty percent premium on what you would normally want to spend on it. Right. But I mean, the nice thing about luggage is, you know, it lasts a really long time. I mean, I've, I've mentioned last week, I've, I've had my Kirkland bag for eight years, I think. Um, and, and could continue using it. So, you know, luggage, luggage lasts a long time. Yeah. So quick related follow-up. So there's a, there's a company called, uh, apparently blue smart, that uh, was a, is another maker. I'm not really sure if you'd call away smart luggage, just because the the second generation away, which is the one that I have and the one that you ordered, has the ejectable uh, 10,000 milliamp hour battery, which to, honestly I've never actually used. Um, so I think that sort of makes it smart luggage. But there's a company called um, uh, Blue Smart that is going out of business because um, they made GPS and uh, battery bundled or built-in technology but they did not make their bags like ejectable so therefore the travel policies that delta and a couple of other airlines are um putting in have made it to the point where uh they can't really fix that or continue which is a shame it is too bad yeah yeah uh on the upside though away has uh, for the people who did buy the very first one they have made it extremely easy for people to exchange that and get the uh, to send it in to get the ejectable uh, battery compartment. So it looks like they're they're doing everything the right way. Yeah, that 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 you know seems like that's sort of like the best thing they could have done. Yeah, like it's probably like a, a big loss for them in the short term, but in terms of customer loyalty and positive brand uh, engagement and attention. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, I really, I really also, hate using douche fight terms on this show, but yeah. Um, also, real, some real time follow up. I, I suspect that the 
these are the Star Wars Away suitcases. I think the reason they're so hard to get here is because I think they might be sold out. Yeah, because I clicked on the link that you sent me, and when I clicked the link of to go buy, it just shows yeah, me the regular no, colors. I know. I, th- I think I think the issue here is they're sold out. Oh shit! Yeah, all right, you you lucked Which out. Val- validates my your impulse buy. Uh, yeah. My my eleven thirty p.m. on a Saturday night impulse buy. Very nice. No, I, I, it, I'm, I'm really excited. It, it arrives on Monday, and then I've got a trip coming up uh, in a few weeks here. So, nice. um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. All right. Uh, so the promo code when you want to order your away suitcase is TC twenty eighteen. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, first class luggage at uh, coach prices or whatever. It's, 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 re- it's really good. Um, all right. So you have something about Disney and four K. Yeah, so I, you know, famously made the prediction in the lead up to the 4K Apple TV that I figured either Bob Iger himself or someone from Disney would come up on stage or maybe like a J.J. Abrams type and, you know, say how great 4K is and how one of the big things they're going to do with the launch of the Apple uh, TV 4K is there's going to be this huge back catalog of Disney content that you're going to be able to rent and buy that was not previously available in 4K because Disney of all the major studios has been kind of one of the slowest to adopt 4K content. And not only did that not happen, but <laughs> Disney ended up being the only major studio to not include the option to rent or buy movies in 4K in the iTunes store. So they basically completely sat out the whole um apple tv 4k thing much to my chagrin because there have been two movies that have come out since that time coco and the last jedi which i've really wanted to buy and have really wanted in 4k so like an animal i've been forced to buy those movies on disc since they're not available digitally in 4k until now where and i have not tried this yet but apparently while you still can't buy a rent Disney movies in 4K directly through iTunes, you can buy them through Vudu. And I think because of the whole movies everywhere thing, if you buy a 4K movie through Vudu, you then have access to it on your Apple TV. Either that, or I guess it's maybe just through the Vudu app on Apple TV. Um, you have the ability to uh, display that content in 4K. So kind of an indirect way now of of watching Disney movies in 4K on your Apple TV. Cool. Um, some updates on Pocket Cast. So this has been a weird story. So we talked about this last week where Pocket Cast is definitely my favorite application for using uh, for podcasts because they actually have a Mac uh, and web client. Um, so they were bought by a group of four companies, which was NPR, WBEZ, and This American Life and somebody else. So a bunch of people like started being super negative about the acquisition, and I understand there could be concerns when uh, an app that you rely on is purchased by somebody else because you usually think the, the the worst possible thing. But they they released kind of like an FAQ on uh, the most common complaints and and fears people had, basically explaining why the acquisition makes sense and uh, why they aren't going to do the they aren't going to go all Facebook on you and and mine your data and sell you out to the highest bidder. So that, that was that was a good story. Um, people should go check that out. The link will be in the show notes. But overall, Pocket Cast is probably going to continue to remain in its current form, which is to say it will be the best application for listening to podcasts on any platform. So I, I do have to say, though, I, so good on them for putting out the statement. 
but I, I I do have to agree a little bit with Gruber here, who had a response to this. Where so concern number four of this article is Pocket Casts will start tracking users' location, and the response starts with this one perplexes me. Mm, come come on now, that's a little facetious. I think like people being concerned about their location data tracking or being tracked as a result of a company who would be interested in location-based ads being served does not seem like a unwarranted concern. I, th- I think there, there was much better ways to answer that question. While it's a valid concern for people to have, I don't think that's the first thing that you would jump to is that this app, which currently, like, I mean, it's just like, I guess that the app that they make, like the whole point is to be the best podcast app uh, like that you could possibly use. So I, I, I I just don't feel like, or I just don't think that they would think of like why doing some Google or Facebook level type of like location map for their, for their uh, users would be the first thing that they would jump to. Like, I, I understand why they would think that that's kind of a weird concern. Like, I know that it's concerned. Cause like, if you, if you, cause that's, that's the problem with podcasting where all the people who are like who are the big money that are trying to get into podcasting? Like their whole thing is they they want the same level of granularity and type of like ad targeting and and the data that all these horrible trackers and stuff that have like just ruined the modern web have have like wrought on like standard publications and like if somebody who wanted that data got control of a podcasting application, like I could see where that's maybe something that they would fear that would come, but like that's not. I don't know. Like that's just not what they do, and I, I I hope that you can take them at their word that that's not something that they're going to to do because that's something that you can already get with somebody's IP. Like so, if you want to do very basic ad inserts like uh, like the Daily does, like do you remember when they did the thing where I think it was like five months ago there was um, they started doing ads for some like Palo Alto like teaching hospital or something. Mm-hmm. Like that's based off of knowing what your IP is, and they do a thing where like podcast advertisers will know that like the content of this of this podcast ends at twenty one thirty eight, um, and we can as you download insert an ad that's based off that's that's geographically relevant to you based off of the IP address that's downloading the the podcast uh, as you download it, and the user is none the wiser. Like that can already be done, so I don't see why the podcast application has to really be involved in that. I don't know. Like I, I like I, I trust the, I trust the pocket cast people. Like they're Australians. They're, 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 they're good people. Yeah. I, I do take them at their word as well. I just thought there was a better way to answer that concern instead of like dismissing it as a ridiculous concern. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it does kind of make sense. Like just in the, I guess maybe like they're maybe a bit detached from it, but when you think about scummy business models and like kind of like the Facebooks of the world and the such, like that that's just just uh, traffic in just user data. Like I see where it could be something that a user would be concerned with, but they would be kind of taken aback by like, well, that wasn't even something we were thinking about. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's actually let's let's skip around a little bit. Uh, have you gotten the TiVo update? Well, so I have. And apparently this kind of rolled out like in the midst of all this like move craziness I've been going through. <laughs> and 
I'm pretty sure it probably rolled out and I didn't even immediately notice it right away because I haven't really been using the TiVo very much until like the last few days. But it just, it dawned on me about a week ago. I was like, huh, like this interface is a little quicker and a little bit easier to read and a little bit nicer than it used to be. And sure enough, I then got it like a little pop-up message saying like, hey, you know, your TiVo interface has been updated, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's you know, like for me, I guess it's not all that interesting of a take because I already generally liked the new TiVo interface. But what I immediately thought of was, you know, like someone like you who's really not liked the new interface, like <laughs> is, has this been a step in the right direction for you? It's still bad, but it's a little, a little less bad. Mm. So, the, um, yeah, like I, I, re, I keep debating on going back to of like of just losing all my recordings and uh, uh, and my season passes and going back to the old system. But you know, this one is slightly better. Um, it's it's more legible. They've um, redesigned the guide a little bit, and they've kind of slightly scaled back. Because like the the interface became super like promo thumbnail heavy. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Like rather than like just text based lists, which is what TiVo was generally known for, and it was super easy to like see lots of data at once and kind of navigate the stuff that you are either looking for or that you've already recorded. Um, it's all basically like here, here's a gigantic picture of uh, Chuck Todd's face because you have a season pass for uh, Beat the Press, and like. It's 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 getting slightly better. Like there's this new like horizontal card interface thing that is on the home screen rather than whatever it was before. So it's slightly better, but I still kind of wish it was not. But I mean, but that's that's just a change. Like I, I, if yeah, I'll I'll take this as opposed to like Apple discontinuing the Mac and forcing people to use iOS or something. <laughs> like I'll, I'll take I'll take my wins or uh, however I can get them. Yeah, no, it, it it definitely does seem like an improvement, even as someone who's liked the new interface generally. It it's definitely not been perfect. And this this update seems to do a lot in the way of making it feel a bit snappier, which has been my biggest complaint of the new interface so far. Is it just it yeah. seems really slow. Um it's it's still I would still not describe the interface as being fast, but it's definitely getting better, it seems. Yeah, yeah. The 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 uh, actually no, you have a, you have a bolt, not a Romeo, right? I yeah, I do. I have a bolt. Yeah, so I mean, like that's the thing. Like the Romeo Pro that I have, always like on the old software felt snappy. And I mean, and you even you have a newer one that's one generation newer, which probably has a faster processor. In it. Yeah, so, so knowing it's, it's probably I don't know a marginally faster processor, maybe. Well, I, don't, I don't think. Well, the... I, I think isn't that why they made that weird curved design because they had to put the th- the heat sinks in there so they could get the fastest <laughs> oh. processor. That's why it couldn't just be a, a rectangular slab. It had to have a, a bend in it. Ugh. I wonder if they still think that's a good design. I can't. I can't <laughs> imagine they do. Uh, or like all the design meetings of like yeah so so do do we really feel like the the um, uniqueness of this is worth pissing off literally everybody <laughs> by making something that doesn't stack? <laughs> uh, it, it it was their trash can Mac Pro and and that's okay. And it was it it was like the original Xbox 360 where it's only oh, it was yeah. only available in white where it's just like wait what. Well, 
Oh, 360. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like all of my other electronics, especially in and around <laughs> the TV, are either like gray or black. Well, but the, the, a... the TiVo bolt is supposed to be the centerpiece of your... <sighs> yeah, it's like a coffee table book or like a... You know, like a... I don't know. It so I mean like it, most of the time it doesn't really bother me because it's in the the console table with the doors closed and like you just don't see it. Um, <laughs> but again, because because we're in this kind of transition phase and moving into the house, like I still haven't even put on the the doors to our little console table. So I've just been like every time we watch TV, I just like stare at this ugly, weird shaped box. Uh, anyway. All right. Uh, the the failing New York Times is uh-huh. uh, going Hollywood, apparently. They, yeah, so, they are. So there's a new series that they are working on with uh, FX, uh, soon to be owned by the Walt Disney Company and the House of Mouse. And they are uh, kind of like, this, I would say this is probably like Vice News-ish, like in terms of like, there's going to be a, a once a week program called The Weekly, which will likely be a an expanded upon version of one of the subjects covered in the daily the week before which which makes sense i i i'm cautiously optimistic like i don't know like the, the daily is just like so good that i worry about anything that might divert focus or i don't i don't know i want i want to be optimistic but i'm also i'm also slightly nervous i hear you I think that's a valid concern, but I don't know. I this this to me sounds like it's going to be something very separate from the daily. So I'm I'm not too worried about this having a impact on the quality of the daily. Whatever's good for the New York Times, they need all the help they can get. The failing New York Times. Well, there's only so far you can get with fake news. <laughs> I did appreciate the tweet that it was either today or yesterday, where basically, uh, 45 said that basically. Uh, any negative press was it's, fake it's news, fake. right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, it was, it was the least, um, the least opaque he's ever been. And just in terms of like anybody who criticized me, it's it's literally fake news. It's it's the first honest thing he said since being in office. And and I, I kindly invite him to go fuck himself. Like that's, ah, <laughs> uh, uh. okay. So uh, to round out follow up, actually, this is more follow out. I think is the term. Um. Uh, Mike Hurley and Jason Snell on this week's Upgrade, which is which is an exceptional episode of Upgrade. Um, a very good discussion on the uh, 20th, 20th anniversary at the iMac. Um, they ha- Jason's opinion on um, the movie-going experience uh, seemed to align very much with what you believe, I think. like he He seemed to endorse the idea of places like the Alamo Brewhouse, um alamo draft house close enough (laughs) (laughs) where they have like reserved seating and like plush seats and like food and beverage service and that kind of stuff is that an accurate depiction yes characterization Mm -hmm. so what so how often do you go to movies and how it, it, it do what what type of experience do you do appreciate i probably go two or three times a year and my biggest thing is the reserved seating. The food and drinks and the fancy seats, that those are all nice things to have, but not must-haves. My my must-have is 
reserved seating. I, I can't even tell you the last time I went to a movie where it wasn't reserved seating. And, and fortunately, that's because most of the major movie chains now are um, going in that direction. Like I think all, basically like all of AMC's theaters now are reserved seating. And that's, I mean, that that's just such a, that's just such a nicer way to to see a movie. Like the like I I used to be the type where I'd I'd get to you know movies opening weekend like hours in advance and stand in line and all that stuff like I just the 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 thought of doing that anymore is just repulsive. Yeah, interesting. So I assume that a lot of that has to do with your so you enjoy seeing like if there's a movie you really want to watch you want to see it as early as possible. Is that it? Yeah, I mean usually I mean the the couple of movies I see each year are generally like the big releases that everybody's excited about so you know and i i do like to see them sort of opening weekend because i mean you know i I just want to see them and then also you don't have to worry about spoilers and all that kind of stuff so it's it's nice to see them as early as possible yeah so this 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 so i'm gonna gonna be a hater and, and judge something i've never actually experienced but it feels like places like the you said it was the draft, the Alamo Draft House. Like the food and beer part seems like that would be super distracting. So I, so I, I've only been to the Alamo Draft House once. I mean, it it be, it's a little pricey, so it's not it's not something you want to be doing on the regular. Um, I, <laughs> um, as you would say, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um. I was also a little skeptical of it. It, w- it wasn't my idea to go the one time that I went. We went with some friends, and I-, I was a little skeptical of it, much in the same way that you are. I would tell you to give it a try. The The way that the Draft House does it in particular is very, very thoughtful. Like the, the whole movie theater is designed around that kind of dining experience. Like, <laughs> this is not a regular movie theater where someone is like you know shuffling between the rows trying to hand out this food like it's it's very thoughtfully laid out um and it it ends up working really well again it's 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 really expensive but yeah um but i know i I would i would say try it it's it's um it's worth experiencing I, i think it would change your opinion the thing is like i'm sure the business does their absolute best to do it but i just Maybe this is diverting into a different topic, but just like the the entitledness and the inconsideration of people who live in the Bay Area seems like it would compound that. Like you'd have like a bunch of off people ordering and like and being being loud and like spilling beer. Like I I don't I don't know, but I'm probably I'm probably mixing things. But it seems like the people would ruin it. I think you are a little bit. I I it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty neat neat movie theater. But what they what they offer is not indicative of what most of these theaters have. So, you know, most theaters now, like a lot of, again, the AMC theaters have, they don't have like full meals or anything, but like, you know, they'll have the option of potentially having an adult beverage. They'll have slightly nicer seating. And most importantly, they'll allow you to reserve your seating. So that's, you know, that's what I'm looking for. How much do other people uh, potentially detract from the movie going experience with you? I mean, like, it, like people, like people shuffling around or making noise or checking their phone or doing stuff like that. Like how, how in the zone do you have to be to, to enjoy a movie? Um, like I had an experience, I think this was with, for, for Rogue One, the one of the, the Star Wars prequel that came out a couple of years ago. 
the woman who was sitting next to me was like just really excited about the movie like to the point where you know she would be like laughing really loudly and like kind of like gasping in certain moments she was very animated and i like i i was torn because i appreciated the enthusiasm but it was it was sort of distracting yeah Okay, but it sounds like you have a decent tolerance or like you're not super sensitive to that type of thing. It has to be over the top for it to bother you. Yeah, like I'm not going to I'm not going to get angry about that, but it again, it it is a little distracting. Got it. Okay. All right, an hour in. I think that wraps up follow-up. Thanks for making it through it everybody. Please remember awaysuitcases.com slash Star Wars. Yes. slash podcast slash technically correct slash Something. Although those Star Wars ones are apparently sold out, so. yeah, yeah, you have, you have to you have to go to the, the sandy beaches of uh, Endor to to find the uh huh uh huh right uh huh oh. yeah Starbuck okay um <laughs> that's 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 something right I think that's uh, Battlestar Galactica yeah yeah yeah, yeah what the frack okay uh-huh. um main stuff so this is i actually think I, I i've promoted this to the very top and i think this a lot of people probably thought this was kind of a, a non a non-article but i i, I want to get your opinion on here and i, I want to have a discussion about this so somebody uh so daniel danny Crichton in on TechCrunch this week wrote a story and it's not really prompted by anything in particular but it's titled uh subscription hell not uh, how not to do paywalls and actually it might be pro- uh, partially in in response to the the Bloomberg News paywall that went up this week, but it, it's it's um, a complaint or like a diatribe or like some uh, something uh, some big thing about how subscriptions are ruining the internet and how it uh, we're all being nickled and dimed to death, or as like John Roderick would put it, uh, we're all getting uh, too many eels attached to us. So I want to know what you think about this. And the key passage of the article I think is the most telling, or maybe a good jumping off point, is that. Uh, Danny writes, uh, I'm frustrated with this hell. Uh, I'm frustrated that the web's promise of instant and free, bold, free access to the world's information appears to be dying. I'm frustrated that the subscription, that subscriptions usually mean just putting formally free content behind a paywall. So how do you feel about the subscription nature of the internet, how we monetize content, kind of that balance between advertising and uh, direct payment for content. So it, it's it's actually funny. That was like literally the exact same passage I was going to quote to start my. Oh, because it's super frustrating. Yeah. So here here's my issue with this premise, which is prior to the internet and sort of just prior to the I guess sort of modern computer age that we're in, there was very seldom an expectation that things would be free. Like, I, you know, like I, I'm having a hard time envisioning going into a physical retailer or going somewhere for a service and expecting there to be some free option for either that product or service. Like this is very much a kind of modern new idea. And I I don't think that because there can be free options that that means that there always should be um, free options. And in, in the absence of that, that somehow that's taking away from the spirit of the internet. Like, I'm, I'm not really sure that free is necessarily 
what makes the internet the internet? Like, am I expressing that in a way that makes sense? You are, where, like, the default assumption is that everything's free. And like this guy says, basically, that every, anything that should be free should be free, and anything I should pay for should be, like, some extra super sprinkles on top value add. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, I, I think I think that's a pretty fair characterization. Like, it, it seems so weird. Like, cause I, to step back, like, I, I understand how somebody could be frustrated with this. And, like, I kind of bump up against this, too, where... There's like the internet needs to figure out how to do this properly. Like I, I have no issue paying for the content I enjoy, but it's like you kind of try to like figure out how to support or or work with the content that maybe is not something you consume all the time. Like the New York Times, like the failing New York Times, like they get seventeen dollars a month for me, like because I I subscribe to the crossword and I get the the digital edition that does not include the iPad one because I'm too cheap for that. So, but if we look at this new Bloomberg paywall that just got uh, put up, which is, uh, it's either 35 or $40 a month, where if you want, it's, it, the difference is if you want uh, access to their magazine, Bloomberg Business Week, that's that's the, the $5 difference. But basically after 10 articles, similar to the New York Times, you'll, you'll have to pay. So I, I enjoy Bloomberg's content. I watch Bloomberg TV uh, as part of my cable subscription fairly frequently. It's a good counterpoint to CNBC. But like, that's kind of a lot of money, especially for somebody like me who like I don't make my living in finance and I don't rely on it for investing advice or any of that kind of stuff. So therefore, like thirty five dollars is kind of a lot of money. For the same reason, I don't subscribe to the to the Wall Street Journal. Like, it's just it's just too much for the amount of value I derive from it. And even though I want to pay for it, like that's, that's just too much money. And like the internet hasn't really figured out how to square how much utility or value you get from a particular service, where I do think like it is kind of maybe a fair criticism to think of like that you are trapped in subscription hell, where if you do, like let's say your like media diet consisted of the New York Times, Bloomberg News, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and like the LA Times. Like if you if you subscribe to all of those, like you're in for like seventy five bucks a month, and that's kind of a lot of money. And like back when people were figuring stuff out, and the internet was mostly free, and you could go get whatever you wanted, whatever you wanted. Like that's it's it's a jarring change, and it's something you might not like, but like everybody's still figuring it out. And like I I just think like they're probably it's like it's going to take a while for them to continue to figure it out. Well, and I guess I'm not really sure how I feel about people being like morally outraged when they feel something like the Bloomberg paywall is too expensive. Like if that's not if that's not a price you're willing to pay, don't pay it. Like I'm not really sure being angry about it is the type of response I would have. Yeah, the ang- the anger I don't get. Like for me, it's it's kind of like slight disappointment, or like I mean, like I don't know, because it's something that like for between five and fifteen dollars a month, like I would get enough value out of it. But I'm not like gonna like go mar- like go organize some march or something about it. Like it, it is like I I don't get the the complaints of everything should be free all the time, and unless like somebody is creating something brand new that never existed before that that's the only thing you could charge for like or yeah or like i mean maybe a better way of saying what i was trying to say at the top too which is like it's weird to me that like the fact that 
the author of this TechCrunch article thinks that because there's some paid content on the internet, that that somehow like sullies the internet as a whole. <laughs> like the fact, like even though there are these paid options, there's so much more access to information now than there ever was before the internet, which again, like what I was saying before, pre-internet, you know, there really were very, very few free options for the type of access to information that we have now. I mean, the, obviously, you know, libraries would be the best example, but that pales in comparison to what we have access to on the internet now. Yeah, I, the, the most problematic part. So, like, so, so he says, I don't know when the uh, when media started hiring IRS accountants, but subscriptions should be seen as an upgrade, not a tax. A subscription provi- should provide new features, content, and capabilities that didn't exist before, while maintaining the former product that consumers have enjoyed for years. Like that, like that's that's bullshit. So, like, if, if you if you compare to like let's say like the early days, like let's say it's two thousand six, like the heyday of the internet. Um, like in in the LA Times was uh, was providing most of their stuff for free on the internet because they didn't really know what to, to do with it. Like and there's like oh that's like it's something we have to do, and RSS is a thing, so let's just, let's let's just go nuts. But when the stuff that paid for the content and the journalism dries up, like nobody's buying the paper edition, and the costs of production are higher, and nobody's buying classified ads because of Craigslist and Facebook and literally everything else, like. You have to figure out how to make that business model work. Like that, this, this, all this stuff is like the same reason why, like the the bullshit, like Sinclair Media, media acquisition that's gobbling up local news is happening. Like people have to find a way to make media sustainable. Like so, saying that literally everything has to be uh, like a gigantic improvement on what it was before, otherwise it's not worth uh, paying for, is is a is a bunch of it's a bunch of garbage. Right. Uh, the one point that he makes that it is not something I agree with, but is something I think is maybe a decent pivot or something that, that is also worth discussing. Uh, he brings up the point of software that's moving to uh, subscription services, like particularly an app that I, I kind of in the past liked, but I, because of their move to subscription, have not paid for. That's called Ulysses. Um, like apps that have moved to subscription services, um, those are tricky. Like because like paying sixty dollars for an app that does everything you need uh once and then maybe there's a new version two or three years down the road is is good. But when you now basically are renting software, like I think that's trickier. Like I think certain applications could swing that. Like I think Microsoft Office and One Password are the the biggest examples of that of of services that they offer the level of utility that makes subscription worthwhile for the consumer and also that their software was not cheap enough where doing it on a subscription basis is kind of um maybe a decent value proposition for people but there's a lot of other apps where it seems to be taking over uh mac and ios applications where subscriptions are maybe not really providing that much extra benefit other than the fact that the developers now get subscription recurring revenue that's that that is the one thing where i think maybe there's some validity or maybe a decent conversation to be had based off this premise yeah i, I agree all right uh let's uh what, what happier subjects do we have and we don't we don't really do happy subjects on this show oh that's true yeah everything uh i forgot everything's awful now <laughs> no it, but it but it really is though um Let's let's can I can I can I can I get on a soapbox for a minute or can I talk about oh, a, a topic that's a topic that's personal to me? Yes. Um this week, and I'm and I'm gonna say it here because I need some type of accountability. Uh I need an accountability buddy for this. Um 
Uh, this week is is the OmniFocus Reckoning, and and by next week, I'm basically going to undergo a process because because my you frequently talk about your podcast debt, which which is a concept I th- I think it should be easy to restructure, but uh, but I'm I'm just an outsider. Uh, I I have an OmniFocus debt where I have uh I am very frequently addicted to the crack cocaine that is the uh uh a plus one day button in OmniFocus. So basically my plan is that I need to uh, basically over the next week uh, do whatever is in OmniFocus or I need to delete it or figure figure some stuff out. So I, I make it publicly known that, that there's a lot of stuff that, but that my OmniFocus by next week needs to be uh, very, very, very lean. And a lot of stuff that I think I should have done or, or, or would have done or, or whatever needs, needs to go away. So did you make that a task in OmniFocus? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh what what exactly is it called? Uh yeah, yeah, clear out OmniFocus over the next week. It has a flag on it and it has a due date of uh <laughs> April fifteenth. Uh yeah, the orange flag means it's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cause cause the whole double digit uh OmniFocus overdue or due within twenty four hours thing is kinda it kind of it's 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 like the term breaking news where it it kind of it's just it's just oh shit now what <laughs> it, it's lost all meaning kind of yeah yeah so um i i think you suffer slightly less from this like so what what is your situation like you you had said earlier today that you i think it was like at 6 do soon or overdue tasks were already very very anxious yeah, I would say my number is, yeah, between five and seven or so is where I start to get a little worked up about it, which is not to say that I don't do the same thing where I just sort of delay tasks by a day or two. But when I do that, I just feel like I have a cloud over my head. Oh, most definitely. So the idea that you'd have, what was your 16 or something like that? Just, oh. It just stresses me out. Yeah, like because the problem is like I'm I'm breaking my own cardinal rule about due dates, which is which is a rule I stole from Merlin Man. So, but like that's like a due date is supposed to be something where like you live or die by like this this needs to be done now. So if I just say like I whatever it is like it needs to be done like at five o'clock today, like if it doesn't actually matter, then then what is the point of a due date or what it what are the consequences of me actually like uh, marking this a certain way? So like I, I I need to figure that stuff out, and I can't wait for OmniFocus three and, and and tagging for that to be the case. That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, I I'm very interested to see how that works because I I feel the same way about due dates where I feel like I frequently fudge them, and as a result, they lose a lot of their meaning. Yes. So like, cause there's a lot of stuff where I would like to say like you know this is stuff I want to get done today. But then there's also the stuff that needs to get done today. And right now, I don't have a great system for reconciling those things. Because like I live in the OmniFoc- uh, OmniFocus forecast view. And if you don't put a due date in something, it doesn't show up there. Right. So it's it, it's it's tricky. So mm. yeah, but this this is the reckoning week. And then also that, that means that uh, come next week, there may be a... Uh, a project that I've been delaying forever that may finally launch. So. Okay. All right. All right. 
and it's, and it's not me getting a dog because that, that would be a very joyous event mm-hmm. now this was the thing you were sending in the thing earlier yes yeah, mm-hmm. yeah all about all about pretzels that i i made, I made the wrong decision on no it's just ah, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway okay uh i i will i will let you pick what, what, where do you want to go next um so i i think this is kind of an interesting story about ford yeah um so they're going to stop selling most of their cars in north america um over the next few years they're going to transition to just selling suvs trucks and commercial vehicles which means that you know vehicles like my favorite the ford fiesta and (laughs) your your favorite the ford focus these are all (laughs) no my 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 my, uh ironic favorite is the is the the ford fusion hybrid that drives all the potatoes the fusion oh that that's right specifically the hybrid that's the that's just the the garbage vehicle that makes (laughs) the shame of north america but yeah yeah pour pour out on mike's hard lemonade for the uh for the ford fiesta jeez so so i guess my question for you here is like is this more just a sign of consumer preferences shifting towards larger vehicles or like is this the canary in a coal mine around like car ownership becoming less of a thing so i think it's both so i think it, it we're we're in precarious times right now uh where kind of like whenever oil prices go down a lot and gas becomes like less than four dollars a gallon like i think people tend to like there's always like that that that's a spectrum of people wanting super small energy efficient or like fuel efficient cars and then as prices fall people start creeping back up and being like oh hey that that chevy suburban doesn't look so bad anymore so i think that's where that comes up and i think americans like americans like things big and that kind of stuff and i think they found like a nice compromise in like the the abominations that are uh crossovers like where people who kind of like they're like oh i want something kind of small like a sedan but also i, I yeah I, I want it sporty so that when i'm not sporty the dog sporty when i'm going to the ikea and and i and i want to fold down the seat and i want to put my my jock mock table on there that i could still take that with my uh chevy equinox or my ford uh what what is their small suv it's not it's it's, it's probably the escape the the escape yeah <laughs> Or they have, well they have I'm the they have up. the I can't uh, laugh at that <laughs> they have the eco sport now too, which is like kind of like a smaller version of the escape. Uh, Ford eco sport. I think that that's I think this is the for the first year they've had it. That is actually the, the model. Oh, weird. Yeah. Oh, it looks like it looks kind of like a weird American version of like the Mini Countryman. Right. Weird. Okay. Uh yeah. This this looks like a Japanese car. Like it looks like kind of like one of those like kind of like a, a Toyota subcompact SUV. Weird. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I gotta close this tab. Um, like yeah, I think it's so. It is a bit of consumer preference changing towards uh, bigger cars, but people like in, in that ties in with uh, overall gas prices. But I do think it probably uh, kind of correlates to consumer preferences where urban dwellers are have found that um, car ownership. Is not that important in the advent of car sharing services, and that the people who are buying cars are maybe people who uh, live in more remote areas or where um, the utility of like stuff like the F one fifty pickup truck and stuff like that, um, or the like the Transit Connect, which is their like cargo van ish thing, 
like i think it is probably yeah it's it's a mix of shifting consumer preferences and also um yeah just let's just wanting larger cars it's a dramatic move though yeah that's that's sort of my surprised by it is i guess i would have expected maybe one or two models to not be sold anymore but the fact that it's just sort of like this blanket we're not selling sedans anymore which is what's catching me a little off guard yeah but i mean but it is weird where like i mean if if geez like if you look at their website like they they have the fiesta the focus the fusion the c-max and the taurus like if you exclude the Mustang, because like yuck, but like that's that's five cars that are basically the same car, just like slightly rumored. Like that that does seem like a lot of redundancy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so like I mean, it'd be interesting to see if Chevy uh, follows suit because I I think probably people that are buying in this car category anyway are probably leaning towards a Japanese car. Like they're they're either going to get like a Civic or a, a Corolla or something. Like I, I, I don't have a good gauge for outside of rental cars who's buying a, a Ford sedan. Yeah, I feel I don't feel like I see a lot of them. Yeah, like like your Fiesta, your lime green Fiesta was a one of a kind. Uh, no, I, I had I had a red one. Oh, oh man, a missed opportunity. Well, no, I so I I liked the green one in theory and online, but then when I went to go see it in person, it was it's it was the wrong shade of green. Oh yeah. Two five C or not five C enough? Two five C. It's not 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 like the indoor away suitcase. <laughs> All right. Um. So this 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 should be a very very quick one. Uh, Sonos. Whoops! I put this in twice. Sonos IPO to IPO in early September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what Zortec will do to you. Um. Yeah, that's this doesn't make sense to me. It seems a little too ambitious. Like maybe I just I'm maybe I'm being super pessimistic about their sales and their overall market, but is Sonos that popular? Like where where they necessarily need a, a public public market exit to to uh, gain enough capital like that that's just like why, I don't know. Sonos always seemed like kind of like a niche luxury brand and even though they've been branching out with the uh Specifically with the Play One that has the the uh, Echo services integration, and and the Play Three and the Play Play Five, like it doesn't seem like a mass market consumer brand where they have like enough products to to make this necessary. But I mean, hell, Spotify's public, so what, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I yeah, it it definitely seems a little kind of broader than their original mandate, but. I mean, good, good on them, I guess. And also, I mean, probably, I mean, probably for the best to do it now, if they're going to do it, because... Well, before the HomePod takes over. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's an extremely competitive space they're in. So, you know, better to do this now than become like the next Fitbit. Well, luckily, they have two key competitors in Apple and Amazon that don't have any spare money to uh, stomach losses forever to, <laughs> right. to uh, bleed their competition dry. Because, uh-huh. um, yeah, this is, I mean, I just, I just, maybe I don't know where, like, I just feel like for Sonos, I don't see what they can do that Bose can't. Because, like, they seem like there's a ton of overlap in terms of the type of market that they're serving as Bose. And I know Sonos has a slight edge on the software side, 
but I guess like outside of Amazon and Apple, I don't I don't see where the where both of them really kind of coexist for a long time. Mm-hmm. But on that note, I, I bring this up mainly just because I wanted to f- pivot to this other other subject that we um, skipped over last week, where, which was um, and I forget what the the uh, inciting article was, but uh, smart sound bars. Well, yeah. So the, 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 there's a rumor that so I guess Sonos is having this event like like in a couple of weeks or something, and the rumors that they're going to announce a updated sound bar that's got Lady in a Can support amongst other things, which as someone who's probably going to be in the market for a soundbar here in the near future, I'm very excited about. Yeah. So, so, th- so that was it. And that, that was one of the things where like, I thought this was like a super interesting t- topic, which is that like, I have the, the Bose sound touch 300, which, which is a, a fantastic soundbar. And I, and I really, really like it. But the thing is it, it, even though it has uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi support and it's pretty easy to link my phone up to it. And whenever I want to play music off of it, um, it like I really, really like. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish it uh integrated with um the Alexa stuff, um because like it it, it in my apartment is put in a really really central place where whether I'm in the kitchen, the living room, working at my desk, or in the bedroom, like it still is fairly easy to hear and is in a good spot overall. So like I really wish that there was a way to talk to it, and if like. Bose released a new one like that would that would be super valuable to me and I think like the fact that Amazon is fairly lax or or encouraging of uh, third party hardware manufacturers integrating into the Echo Voice Cloud or or whatever it's called like I think that could be super interesting but like I don't know it being Sonos like I'm I'm not sure I would be bought in on their ecosystem but I think integrating uh voice assistance on sound bars is is a is a super super interesting uh uh prospect yeah and you i think you touched on the main point which is these speakers tend to be very centrally located and that that's exactly the same situation that i would be in where you know historically i basically have just had an echo in the kind of main tv room but if instead of having that i could just have that built directly into the sound bar that would be awesome well, and, and that's the thing where like a lot of the utility is in, in uh, like the Echo service is that like I could say like, oh, play, play this on Spotify or like my favorite thing before I had the soundbar was to say uh, uh, a lady in the can, like uh, connect to my phone and that would automatically initiate the Bluetooth pairing. So whatever I uh, wanted to play off my phone would play on the Echo. And even though it didn't sound that good, the the ease of use was was totally worth it. Right. Um, like it would be very, very nice for uh, a speaker that like, I mean, like the sound touch like sounds fantastic and even just for podcasts and stuff like while i'm doing dishes and stuff like it's it's a very very good speaker for that um it'd be really nice for that to be a lot smarter so um yeah i'm i'm optimistic and i hope that bose gets on that because like i assume if sonos does make this that it's gonna be super expensive and and not really that that compelling like i i I wouldn't pay I, i would pay a little bit of premium for it but i wouldn't pay that much of a premium for it right right yeah, the price is my biggest question. Um, if this thing ends up being like eleven ninety nine, I'm gonna be pretty bummed. Yeah, like like the sound touch is is six fifty, which I think is like it's high, but like the sound quality but the, is worth but it. About, but that's about that's about the price of like a high end soundbar, though. Yeah. So if if like Bose made of because like in Bose, like they have with some of their Bluetooth sets, like I know you have the QC thirty fives. They created a, a new version called the QC thirty five twos, 
very, very elegantly named, <laughs> um, that have much better um, interaction with uh, Siri and uh, Google Assistant. So, like, if they managed to make a version of this that was like seven ninety nine, like, I'd be totally into it, and I would, I would very much uh, try to sell you my SoundTouch three hundred <laughs> at, at a steep discount. I would give you a price you could refuse. Um, but yeah, that, that that'd be very nice. Well, so that's the that's the so I'm I'm looking at the um, the current Sonos uh, Play Bar, and it's it's so it's six ninety nine, and so that's exactly what I was going to say is like. This next version, if it's like more than seven ninety nine, that that starts to get a little tricky. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we wrap up, do you want to do just like uh some quick hits on Amazon? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Uh, so Prime has a hundred million subscribers. It's one of the the first uh, data points or charts that Bezos has released that actually has an axis on it. <laughs> um. So that's that's uh that's 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 quite a number. It's 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 amazing. It's really really amazing. Yeah, like it. it, it and I, if you had to say, of that hundred million, how like how many people do you think are in it are in it for the shipping? How many people are in it for the for anything else? Major, the overwhelming majority's got to be the shipping. Yep. Like that's the thing where like Amazon Prime Video is. It seems like a nice value add, but like I. I can't see myself paying separately for that where like, I mean, yeah, like it does make the service slightly stickier for me. Like, so let's say there was a year that I had that maybe I wasn't ordering as much from Amazon that that might be something that keeps me around. But like, I think probably for everybody, um, yeah, it's, it's almost entirely the, the shipping service, which goes hand in hand with the uh, the other bit of news is that beginning uh, June 15th, uh, renewals of Amazon Prime and all new subscriptions will be billed at $119 instead of the usual $99. So what what, what does that mean for you? It means I'm going to be paying $119 now. It doesn't make you... Oh, that's going to sound weird. Does this make you feel anything? No, because I've, I've always kind of felt that Prime was probably a little underpriced. Same like when Netflix raises its rates by a dollar or two. I'm like, yeah, that that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Although I would I would pay a premium for a an enhanced version of Netflix that had less content on it. Yeah, but how may like how would you divide that content? I don't know. There's too much stuff on it. Like literally, there's just way there's way too much. So if they had some kind of exclusive version that had better uh, recommendation algorithms that had less stuff, so you felt less guilty about all the TV you're not watching. That that would definitely be worth like sixteen ninety nine a month. <laughs> so yeah, they, they they should get on that. Uh, side note, side side chef special. People should go watch the John Mulaney special. It was very very funny. Hmm. Seems seems very up your alley. Yeah. It 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 speaks to the uh, middle aged uh, thirty to thirty five year old uh, person. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, they have uh, so so for your your preferred pet or favorite Instagram dog. Uh, they have a new in-house pet food brand called Wag, uh, which is only available. It's a good name. Yeah, it's it's no nice, but it's 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 nice. Totally yeah, and, and there, there's a cute pup on there that's got that's got a that, that found its tennis ball and good job. And apparently, it's made from real chicken. But um, yeah, I 
good for Amazon. Like, I mean, that, that makes sense, but also, um, yeah, yeah. Amazon's got to sort out their, their, this is just a, an aside, but like they got to sort out their fake review and, uh, weird third party problem pretty soon. Cause that's, that's kind of taken away from the shopping experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, you, Cause it feels like you have to be on the defensive. If you're ever buying anything that doesn't specifically say ships and sold by Amazon. Yeah. Which seems like a rarity these days. Like almost nothing is sold by Amazon directly anymore. Yeah. <sighs> but so it goes. And then related to our discussion on uh, car ownership on the decline for Americans, uh, apparently Amazon is going to try to collaborate with uh, General Motors and Volvo. And in 37, uh, 30, eh, 37 cities this year, uh, they will try to make it so that uh, Amazon delivery people can open up your trunk and put your packages uh, in your car. That seems like a really weird idea. <laughs> uh, well, so is uh, installing a smart door lock that Jeff Bezos has uh, access to. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Oh, so the, the Amazon Amazon cloud lock or whatever it's called is not going to be your smart lock of it's, choice. No, it's not. It's not going in the smart home. No. Well, actually, I'm not sure if we covered that. I know you're probably going to get a smart doorbell, but are you going to get a smart lock for your house? Like, we'll we'll come back to that. Wait, is there's that... there's not one installed yet? But is there one not installed that is inside your the walls of your house? Uh, as of tomorrow, that will probably be the case. Yes. <sighs> you buy the August smart lock. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Um, got to got to keep you know they they call that a tease you know. Oh sure sure it's it's like knowing who shot first. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> it was Edward Edward James almost the whole time. <laughs> um, wait no that's not him. Who's the who's the guy? Who's who's the voice of CNN and and uh, Darth Vader? James Earl Jones. Yes, I was close. Okay. Kind of yeah. Um, have you played around with Amazon Alexa blueprints? No, I haven't. Have you? I have not, but it seems interesting. Uh, Merlin, on one of his other shows, uh, made a skill to use with his daughter that says, who's the best dad? And it just <laughs> says him, which is, which is pretty fun. But I think that is kind of interesting to make super like limited single-use things. Like I, I kind of – I always have a soft spot in my heart for the things that like introduce programming or like that kind of stuff in, like, just in a super limited way. Like Yahoo had this really weird thing like many years ago called Yahoo Pipes that was pretty neat. Like I'm always into kind of stuff like this, and it it does make the uh, it adds a bit of a whimsy, I think is the term, uh, to to an Amazon product. Yeah, and this and this is the type of thing that you're never going to get from like Apple. So it, it, it's it's smart it's smart for Amazon to pursue ideas like this. Yeah, you know, so much much like the correct answer to whatever Siri interaction you asked, uh, you will not get that from Apple. <laughs> oh mm, mm. yeah i think i think the i think the millennials call that shade uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> that was lit yes <laughs> yes hundred emoji hundred emoji yes uh it's it's very turnt so <laughs> um let, do you have anything else or should we do um uh chef specials let's let's get to the chef specials all right go for it so mine is related to the whole home process, although again we're we're not quite ready for the the smart home recommendations. Although those are those are going to be coming uh, hot and heavy over the next few months. Um, 
Um, my my pick this week, and this is courtesy of the wire cutter. So something that I will be the first to raise my hand about as a new homeowner, I am woefully um, unprepared um, and under-equipped when it comes to tools and just general sort of handyman sort of equipment. And the fact that I'm referring to it as handyman sort of equipment probably <laughs> <laughs> illustrates my my level of skill. But it, it, it is something I, I really want to get better at. I have this. Ooh. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, so literally, you know, I've been sort of stocking up on tools and things and just looked on the wire cutter for like their best tool set recommendation. And they have the uh, Home Depot HDX, which I guess is their kind of house brand. Um, it's, it's their nice. Uh, exactly. Their uh, 76 piece homeowner's tool set. And, you know, this is very much your sort of standard toolbox, you know, hammer, uh, screwdriver, um, leveler, tape measure, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, but you know, just like it's, so the, the, the best recommendation or the, the nicest thing that's happened so far from it was I had a box cutter on my list of things to get when I was at home Depot and I had forgotten to buy a box cutter, but, but I had bought in this tool set, open the toolbox. It's got a box cutter on the inside. Which is like a, just a good little analogy that this thing just has basically like everything. And it's, you know, it's $20, comes in a really nice little box. It's a, it's a great, great little set for someone like me who's kind of just looking to start building out a, a tool set. Very good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of cheaply made. But you really can't complain for the price. Exactly. Because yeah, in a exactly. pinch, like, because like none of this is the best of breed no. at all. But in, if if you're if you have like if you have a leaky toilet or you need to nail in a picture frame or you like just so much stuff where you're like I, I don't know like I I don't want to drive to the Home Depot right now at eleven twenty five p.m. Like it 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 makes sense and it does the job. Right. I would say over time you will probably. Um, like there are things like, and and I I, I don't own a home. I'm going to rent for life and then die. But like it's going, <laughs> I, I'm be, I'm being realistic, you know. You gotta yeah. Um, like things like the tape measure and like like a lot of the stuff like you will probably eventually hopefully buy um the better version of that kind of stuff. Um, but like this is a very comprehensive set that comes in a very nice self-contained unit. And I think I like I remember reading the wire cutter article, which is like it's like there's just so many other like it's just for the money, it's 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 kind of shocking how good it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if it if it were even if it were like forty dollars, I think it would start to lose some of its appeal. But for for twenty dollars, you just really can't go wrong. Yeah. I wonder what the tariff on this is going to be now. I mean, it's probably going to end up being like eighty five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Well, Should have bought American. Mm hmm. All right, that's part of the Home Depot. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so my chef special is and this is this, and I know again, podcast dead, OmniFocus dead, and we end the one up. Oh, I got no. one. Oh, no, no. The, the, no, this one is super easy, and this is one I've been meaning to recommend for a long time, uh, and I don't think I've ever recommended it before. It's called Robot or Not, and it's a podcast that uh, John Syracuse and uh, Marin Celebrity. Jason Snell do. <laughs> um, yeah, that's literally how everybody has to refer to him when, when they love, live up here. Uh-huh. And you also have to write a book report about him. 
That's still one of my favorite snail it's, talks. That's really good. Also, the reverse snail talk this this week about talking about uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the name? Not John. Uh, Mike's bachelor party, but then interrupting it with nobody cares about that. That was that was pretty pretty mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so robot or not is it's it's a generally five to ten minute podcast where um and and the to to peek behind the curtain apparently Jason said that like he and John just like record like twenty of them in a row and they just like parcel them out for like half a year. But it's very fun, and it's just a thing of John clarifying what is or is not something. And originally, a very long time ago, as as the name suggests, it was kind of like is R two D two or or what or the the the, the Rolly thing, the BB eight. Like is 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 that a robot or not? But anyway, like it it is over time just become something of like is this a thing? And uh, specifically, there's an episode recently about potato chips, which. Uh, uh john became very very america first about which is like probably one of the funniest uh five minutes you will ever listen to so i i I endorse this podcast as being something that is just super low energy to listen to and it's also super brief and it's also very fun if you like either of those two personalities so yeah so robot or not from the incomparable this is i've listened to a few episodes and it's pretty good and yeah at, at a couple of minutes per episode it's um not going to contribute too heavily to the podcast up. All right. Until next week, folks. Until next week.